From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome to episode 207 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. Today, I'm talking about two big anxiety moments of my past. I want to pick them apart and see really what was behind these big anxiety moments so that hopefully you can understand the anxiety you're currently experiencing, but then also what I should have done in those moments. And then there's a scenario in the second moment I'm talking about today where I unconsciously, I was doing the right thing to some degree to overcome that anxiety. So let's go into these moments and better understand anxiety. Um, Because if you're new to the channel, welcome. And I hope that this actually shines more of a light on the anxiety disorder or anxiety or frustration or the confusion you're currently experiencing. Because I went through this. I'm someone who had an anxiety disorder throughout, well, my 20s and spiraled into agoraphobia where I couldn't even leave my home because every time I would walk a block from my house, I would experience extreme dread and panic. So I got out of this naturally, no medications because I didn't want to. I was I had a lot of health anxiety. So in my mind, I was like, I don't want to take medications. That's only going to make things work. It was just, there was a voice inside of me that was afraid of, of the medications because, well, I didn't want to lose more control over my scenario. And I, I didn't want the medications to ha- have that control over how I feel, right? I wanted to get a grip over myself. I wanted to get to that better place, the clear mind, uh, to be more neutral day to day and inevitably just to heal. So before we get into my first big anxiety moment, I want to just define health anxiety. Health anxiety is a subcategory of a health of generalized anxiety disorder and, and health anxiety is a big part of anxiety disorder because when someone is going through anxiety there's a lot of novelty in their life there's a lot of chaos unresolved problems happening too many snakes to contend with and so their system is in anxiety mode And so because their system is in anxiety mode, that mode of being produces a whole host of strange bodily symptoms and sensations that they react to, and then they start to develop health anxiety. And health anxiety, also known as hypochondria, is the obsession of one's health where constant catastrophizing over a feeling or body part that becomes a day-to-day habit. They're just consistently paying attention to this feeling 
And what's really happening is that they're trying to solve the problem, right? That's why they're obsessing over it. That becomes their new project in life. Okay, what is this? How do I solve it? And then they do that by going to the doctors or doing all these coping strategies, which I'll get into. But they realize, like my old self, I realized that wasn't working because my anxiety is only remaining here and it's actually getting worse. And so it was time for me to tackle a root cause. And to tackle the root cause, I had to adopt a coach who was going through or who went through the same thing I was going through and then overcame it. And that just, that was a different ballpark. That was a different ball game altogether because I realized that I, there's actually hope in in uh, recovery. So there's three big anxiety traits. The first trait is obsessing. So you catch yourself ruminating over symptoms, feelings, uh, body parts, day after day, periodically throughout the day. There's avoidance, so are you avoiding work, which I used to do all the time. I would avoid work. I would stay at home a lot. I would be around toxic relationships, friends, and I'd just be in my comfort zone all the time. And then there's reassurance seeking. This was a huge one for me. Reassurance seeking was calling up my family on the phone every day, uh, wanting them around me so I didn't want to be home alone. And even with friends talking about your feelings and what you're going through. And there's nothing wrong with that, but, but if they are not giving you the proper advice and education about anxiety, they'll only just keep you in the anxiety bubble. That's a big thing to know. You want somebody to talk to where they will they will provide you with the tools and strategies to overcome the anxiety. Now, let's get into panic. Panic is the body's reaction to the ultimate unknown, right? When things are just too uncertain, the body goes into panic mode. The level of your anxiety is determined by the severity of the chaos that's taking place right here and now, right? So for me, when I was going through GAD, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of chaos. Too many things were happening at one time. So when I meet a client and they're suffering from panic and anxiety and they talk about their lifestyle at this time, they'll say things like, well, I'm going through a relationship uh, problem. I'm going through a job change, divorce, uh a family member has gotten ill or passed away 
And they, they came from a background, a history of one tragedy after another, one problem after another. And now in, in their life, they're just overwhelmed by the amount of uncertainty and the chaos that they're just consumed by. And so then they're paying attention to the symptoms that they have, and that's resulting in anxiety, health anxiety. But here's the thing, that when we keep stepping back or peeling the layers of the onion, they start to realize the root causes, the the unresolved problems, maybe from their childhood, maybe from high school, maybe from the death of their loved one, or, or maybe they developed an illness at some point. Maybe they hurt somebody or cheated on somebody or maybe someone betrayed them. You understand. You get the idea. So there's just too much, too many unresolved, unrealized uh, problems lurking in the shadows of their, of their being. And so you can also, uh, the great metaphor I like to use is the cat being brought in to the new apartment. So if you bring a cat and if you move them from one home to another home, the cat does not like that. It'll search the whole house and examine and explore every nook and cranny of that new environment until everything is known to the cat and then it can finally calm down. So imagine your body is like like a, a condominium of all these different rooms that you haven't explored yet of your past, right? So there was a problem with your parents when you grew up that you haven't explored yet, or there's a tragedy that you haven't explored yet. So it's interesting because when I help a client go through a traumatic moment of their past, it's, it's like I see it in their eyes and they tell it to me a huge weight lifts from their shoulders and they're they're like oh my god it feels i feel lighter it feels like this part of me is 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 lighter but also th- there's this new space that emerged within me that it's like one of the condom it's like one of the condos in the condominium is is clear of the clutter you've explored it and now it's just this empty room with no baggage in it anymore and that's that's what's so fascinating and that's what i discovered within myself each room that i went into and resolved i got lighter and lighter and lighter all the balls and chains were breaking away and let the quality of my life greatly improved So that's really cool. So the first experience I want to go into today is the art gallery experience. This was the first big panic attack that resulted in a chain of panic in my 20s. Now, I was with my fiance, well, girlfriend at the time. We were just starting to date and we went to the art gallery and I haven't been much or at all at this point. I think I've been a couple times, but we went on a date to see an exhibit. I was walking with her through one of the exhibits and I 
started to look internally at my sensations. I was feeling my heart beating faster, the perspiration, and my shallow breathing. These were the three big ones for me. Each person is different. This was mine, like the shallow depth of field, the lightheadedness, uh, the heart beating fast, and the perspiration. I was looking internally, and I had that voice inside of me click in, oh no, right? And that facilitated my anxiety. It's important to note that that voice is also connected to the amygdala, which is your alarm bell. That's your anxiety response. So when that voice said, oh no, my amygdala is like, oh no. And so I I was walking away from Maggie into a different room because I didn't want her to notice my strange behavior because I thought I was just acting weird. I was pacing and I was, I felt distracted And so I walked into another room and that didn't help. I thought it would go away. And the more I was focusing on my sensations, the more they were persisting. It was like, I was like adding coal to the fire throughout this, this period. So I got back and then at one point I told Maggie, I need to sit down and I sit down and then she touched my heart. And she's like, man, your, your, your heart is beating so fast. And at that point I freaked out even more because it was like this confirmation that I'm not well, right? I I needed that confirmation because I knew I wasn't well, but when she said I wasn't well, that made the uncertainty even more uncertain. And so as you can see, the panic was just greatly enhancing at this point. And then security came to check if I was okay. They got me water. And so I was embarrassed and overwhelmed. And I got, I was afraid to walk out of the building because my feet were like jello at this point, but I did get up. I managed to stumble forward outside. I called up my parents for reassurance And then after about 20 minutes of being on the phone, pacing back and forth, saying, what am I going to do? Why am I experiencing this? Um, How am I going to get home? And uh, after about 20 minutes, I go back outside and I meet Maggie. And then by the time I get home, I felt so much better because that was my safe zone, right? But, But also at the back of my mind, there was that voice saying, okay, what about tomorrow? You know, you got to confront the unknown tomorrow. What's going to happen then, right? So that also contributed to my lack of sleep because it's like I was I was really anxious about the day, about the morning. The morning was a tough thing for me to confront because I knew that the start of a new day meant that I had to go out into the world and get things done, go to work, go to the shopping mall, whatever it was. And my system didn't like that because it just wanted to stay inside. So there was something about not taking on the responsibility 
of the day that made me even more anxious. That just added an, another layer to my anxiety. That I was, I was being this victim-like person at home and not, not doing anything productive, not going to work, not educating myself or cleaning or doing chores or anything. I, I was just living in just comfort at this point, but I knew time was ticking on. Um, I felt like I wasn't attaining anything worthwhile, that I was just stagnant in time, and that all made me more anxious. So I was in this crazy, ginormous ball of uncertainty. Oh, I want to also mention a side story too. So this was not my first panic attack in my life. The very first panic attack I had was when I was 10 years old. I was watching a movie with, with my parents. I actually, I think it was Mission Impossible. I'm, I'm 98% sure it's Mission Impossible. But we're watching the movie and I was on the couch with them. And then I I've, and I started to look internally the heart beating fast, sweatiness, shallow breathing. And then I got up from the couch and I went upstairs. And then my parents followed. They told me to put my head between my legs. And uh, the movie was exciting. And so I got worked up. But they didn't provide me with... uh, a rationalization really about what was going on, like the amygdala or the cord, the cortex, why I was uh, doing the experiencing this, that it was, it's a common thing for people. And that, you know, this all, it's all symptoms of anxiety, which is okay because a lot of most people just don't know. It's only recently in the last decade that this is really known information to everybody or most people. But uh, but back then, when I was ten, they only told me w- uh, about. They only gave me the wisdom that they 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 knew, and it's understandable. But what's interesting about that experience when I was ten was that I used reassurance as my main tool to overcome that panic episode. Because I had my parents there holding me and comforting me. So later in my life, when I started to have panic again, well, where do you think I, who do you think I turned to, right? It was the reassurance seeking. It was the family. They helped me before when I was 10. So my brain already made that association of, it's like, oh, you know, I got through that when I was around them. So now that I'm having panic, let's call them up or let's go home. Let's be around them. So that's really interesting too. We, I think each individual has you know, a hierarchy of coping strategies that they fall to. Some it could be alcohol. Some it could be weed. Some could be Netflix. You know, I had all of those, but the main one I had was the top dog was the reassurance seeking. The next panic episode I want to talk about is at a school, a workshop that I attended for a job that I was getting into. And the workshop was a couple weeks. 
and on the first day of the workshop, I sat down in the classroom and I felt the symptoms, right? The triggers. You know, when I was 10 years old, those things, the, un, the, the emergence of those symptoms caused me to have that panic attack. And so my amygdala made associations of those symptoms equals not good or uncertainty, the unknown. And so when I sat down and I started to feel those sensations, it, the, my amygdala went, oh no, the uncertainty, the unknown. And also you're in an environment where you can be judged and you can lose control. Those are the two big anxiety fears, losing control and dying and being in an environment where you will be judged, right? Big ones. And so that's interesting because when I was 10 and I ran upstairs, I didn't want my parents to know. I didn't even tell them until I was upstairs what I was going through because I didn't want them to know I was feeling this. I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed. And so it and looking back, it clicked. Oh my God, yeah, when I was 10, I didn't want, I had the fear of being judged. And that, that was so enlightening to realize that. But so I was in this classroom and I was going to leave. Every part of my body wanted to leave. But then I didn't because I had the strong fear of not completing the course and thus not getting into my job. So that fear was higher than the fear of even losing control and being judged and being awkward and then potentially fainting and all of those worries. So it was eight hours of hell. I was in the classroom for the eight hours trying to get through that anxiety, level 10 anxiety all day long. I was writing in my notebook, just doodling things, just trying to distract my mind. It felt like my mind was using up so much emotional brain power just to just get through the day. I was emotionally exhausted and I, I couldn't even pay attention to what the teacher was saying. I just know I just knew I needed to stay in order just to, you know, get this certificate. And so by day two, my anxiety was a little bit less. It was around level nine. It was draining. It was emotionally exhausting, but not as bad. And then by day three and four, my anxiety was down to level seven and then six. Now, this is really important to know. I didn't even know I was doing this at the time, but... I was staying in the environment instead of running out. This is huge because your anxiety system works by association. If you run out of the environment, the brain goes, okay, well, this is a threatening place situation and let's not go back here. I'll keep a note of that. So whenever Brad goes into a situation like this, it's going to sound the alarm. I'm going to sound the alarm. That's what it's saying. So when I'm in the classroom, the amygdala goes, hey, Brad, you've been in this 
situation before environments like this where you ran away from that were threatening, well, let's run away from this one. Danger, danger. But I stayed, and the more I stayed in that environment, the more the amygdala went, okay, maybe this isn't threatening after all. And then the amygdala starts to get bored of the environment, and then your anxiety lessens and lessens. Because I already ran away from many environments before that. I ran out of the art gallery. So when I ran out of the art gallery, the amygdala went, okay, well, this is a situation where, you know, Brad should not be in at any point. This is dangerous. Well, the associations between my sensations have been made that equal danger, but also the environment like this also equals danger. Environments where there's people, environments where I'm away from my safe place and where I could be judged. That's huge. That is huge. So you want to stay in the environment as much as you can so that the amygdala makes new associations so that it goes okay, well, maybe this isn't so bad after all. The amount of uncertainty and challenges currently taking place in your life, that is your responsibility to overcome them. If you don't admit to their existence, or in other words, if you don't shine a light on the problem, then how can you possibly solve them? A lot of people shove them under the rug, sweep them under the rug. Anxiety was my call to adventure. It was the call to adventure. It's like the dwarves showing up at Bilbo Baggins at his house in the Shire. He wanted to remain in comfort. That was his normal, in his comfort place, right? He's a Shire dweller and everything outside the Shire is too anxiety producing, right? He refused to help the dwarves because he doesn't want to go. He's comfortable there. But something inside of him, this voice, I guess you can say, called him forth to go onto this adventure. And that's why things get worse for people before they get better when you want to go through anxiety recovery. For me, I had to realize and confront my faults and insecurities first and then stumble forward through failure to come out of the other side healed and more wise. So I had to learn a new lifestyle. It's like the cat in the new home, right? It has to explore. It has to get comfortable to the new way of being, to its new way of being. And I had to get comfortable to this new lifestyle I had to introduce. I had to kill off all the old parts of Brad that just weren't working, that caused a lot of snakes and uncertainty. For example, like the toxic relationships. I had to sacrifice the weed, alcohol, the hedonistic lifestyle I was producing. I was living on Pleasure Island for a long time. 
But then when I started to take on my responsibility of overcoming anxiety, that brought a lot of meaning to my life because meditation, exercise, healthy diet, these were things that added so much value to my existence. It enhanced the quality of my life. And it showed me that, well, life can be so much different if you explore avenues that you haven't explored yet. Like when I first discovered Wim Hof, this ice man who who practices deep breathing, when I started to do that deep breathing, man, the quality of my life greatly improved. I felt better mentally and physically and the cold showers as well. So it depends on how much you are willing to sacrifice that determines the quality of your life. I remember when Bilbo, when he returned from his great adventure, he was no longer the same person. He was wise and his shadow was integrated into his personality. He was more assertive and stronger mentally and physically. Gandalf said to him that you must be this burglar to help redeem the mountain. But at the beginning, Bilbo says, I am not a burglar. But that voice inside him says, you could be. It's, it's a voice that we all have that says, well, we're not reaching our full potential. God opens doors for us all the time. But if we ignore them, then we cannot reach our true potential. My generalized anxiety disorder was that call for me to change. My body was saying, enough is enough. It was screaming that out to me. You have to change. You can't live like this no more. And that's where I'm going to leave you on today's podcast episode. Thank you, everyone, for being here and joining the recovery community. Please, if you haven't already, go to the YouTube channel. There's a lot of stuff there. The Anxiety Project on YouTube. And if you haven't, please rate and review this podcast on Spotify. It'll help other people, well, find the podcast, which is really great because so many people nowadays have anxiety. Rise above anxiety, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye for now. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.